0: I rock guitar, and I am Redemption Church. I serve in the nursery because I am Redemption Church. I teach junior hires because uh-huh. I am Redemption Church. Woo-hoo! I teach kindergarten and first grade. I run graphics. Sing on worship. We are C-Kids because I am Redemption Church. So can I tell you what's super cool, at least for me, about this? Um, I, I was just uh, meeting with Roger Powell. He had handed these keys to me at about uh, 9.30. And, and I go back to today is our fifth birthday. We're in kindergarten now. We ride the bus. We have a backpack. We're that cool. Obviously, we have a backpack. Uh, and, and yet, what was really amazing is it is literally to the day five years so october 2nd 2011 uh redemption is underway as far as this group and so to see god sovereignly bring it to a point we're literally to the hour right to the to the hour roger hands me the set of keys uh you know it just it has been such a humbling experience and um you know, there's times when you're in the midst of that where you're like, are we we doing the right thing? Are we doing it in the right way? Uh, Is this gonna work? Is this not gonna work? And, And God sometimes just wants to remind you he's really in control by nailing it to the hour just to remind you that, you know, you might have to wait a while. You might have to be patient. We're gonna continue to be patient for a while as things unfold, but God's really in control. He's really doing things. And every once in a while, he punctuates by reminding you, yeah, yeah, I got this. I got you, bro, all right? Just... Trust me in these things. And so it's been amazing to see what God has done over the course of time. And what he's going to continue to do. Over the course of time as redemption continues to unfold and uh, hopefully fulfill the mission that Jesus has given to us as a church, which is to see people become missional theologians for God's glory, that they would be Christ-centered and from that Christ-communicating, and they're doing it all so that God would be glorified in the midst of that. That is our heart as a church, and that was the heart from day one. Now I'm curious, just kind of in the room right now, how many of you were with us on day one? I just want to see hands. I'm asking you to kind of put your hands out there. This is the the day one crowd. Okay, now put your hands down. How many of you have joined us since our day one? All right? How many people have come in and been a part of us? So. And, and we've got others that aren't with us today. We know people are traveling. They got different things going on or whatever else. But, but even that is a highlight to me of what God has done with us as a church. Now, uh, we're going through a series right now called The Church Is, but we're doing that in light of who we are as Redemption Church. And, and as I thought about today, I, I was brought back, um, to the first Sunday and then kind of what's happened since then. And I've been very nostalgic. I, I, I think this week in a lot of ways, too, where it's just been like going back and looking at the, the pictures of that first Sunday and the first things that we were doing and everything else, and then kind of fast-forwarding it to now and, and, and where things are at. And, and I was thinking about all of the values that we were going to have as a church Uh, you know, when it comes to uh, our identity, right? And so the backpack became that identity. And there was things that I was certain of in this, right? I knew we were going to be kind of word-centered, so the Bible was going to be in our backpack. We were without walls, we were just kind of hoofing it as a bunch of, uh, you know, nomads, and so we were going to have to have a backpack, but we were going to have a Bible. It was important that we cared much about Jesus' book. Now, all of this is in light of the fact that Jesus is our senior pastor, and we knew it had to be all about him. It couldn't be about us. It had to be about him. And then underneath him, we cared about his book. From there, we care about his kingdom, which is the shovel. We want to see churches and ministries planted. We care about his good news or his gospel. That's why we have a water cannon to storm hell. That's important to us as well. But the rope was interesting to me. And, and the rope is all about how we tether together. That as a church... We are interconnected with each other. That's the way the church is designed to be. When I thought about it, in light of that first Sunday, um, I thought what was maybe ironic or, or even to me somewhat dear is the fact that we were born instantly in that context of community. Uh, we, we were born that first Sunday, and, and while these other things you know would, would unpack and unfold over the course of time, the rope was already true. Right? We were already committed to one another in community. We already knew that we were meant to be together. We were do, to do life together. We were to be a church together. We were to do this together in our community for the good of our city. We, we knew that. So in that sense, community was already dear to our heart. And, and, and that's why redemption began. Because that was the value that we cared about. So this morning, as I begin to talk about uh, the importance of this particular value uh, as far as, as a church, I would say what is exciting about that is that it's always been in our DNA. It's always been in our DNA. We, we, we were born out of that sense of community and commitment to one another. And over the course of the five years, that has continued to be true. I mean, for five years, we've had peace. For five years, we've not had any division. For five years, there has been affection and love and investment into one another. I mean, there's always little things that can happen here or there, but I look and go, man, for this entire course of time, it's been a place of health and it's been a place of encouragement. Uh, and, And I mean that as far as people to people, people amongst themselves seeking to do that in in a profound and caring and christ-centered way so uh that has truly been a blessing and to be able to say that on our fifth birthday is very exciting now also real quick before i pray this morning uh we have encouraged you and invited you to come down and check out the new building right now it's a bank and it looks like a bank all right you're gonna go and go wow this looks a lot like a bank it's because it was a bank until now um and, and so, you know, nothing's been cleared out yet. What I understand is that the remodel construction's actually scheduled to begin this week, which is very exciting, uh, just trying to move really quick. Uh, we haven't raised funds for it, but we're going to already start swinging hammers on it. Um, so that's awesome, uh, but uh, yeah, so that's going to start this week, very, very cool, that's one thing. And then the other thing, if you go down today and you want to check out the open house from 12 to 1.30, uh, I encourage you one of two things, uh, I'm I'm assuming that, that perhaps the, the parking may be a little full on the upside because it's a 10 o'clock Seahawks game and everybody goes to the sports bar at 10 a.m. because that's the wisest thing you can do with your life on a Sunday morning, you can go to a bar at 10 a.m. Um, so the sports bar is probably going to be pretty full, which, by the way, here's what that also means. It's a blackout. Anybody says anything about the score of the game, you will be flogged with bamboo rods. All right? So um, it's you've got to keep that to yourself. Don't don't show me your phone. Don't, don't. If you're in the middle of the service and I hear, yes, it'll bug me, but I'll be happy. Um, and if I hear, it'll make me angry and I'll preach angry. All right? So. Don't want that. So, it's a blackout both here and down at the, the, the open house. Don't, don't tell me what the score is down there either. It's a blackout. I'll go home and I'll watch it later today, alright? So, that's our rule here. Blackouts when it's a 10 a.m. game. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, you can park down behind... If you come to visit, if you decide to park right in front of the Chinese food place, it's because you're also going to buy Chinese food afterward. All right, that's what that means. If you park over to XStop, that means you're also going to go and you're going to have some XStop food as you go and check out the open house. Because that's our way of loving our, loving our neighbors down there. Uh, is like, hey, if we're going to take your parking spot, we're also going to go ahead and uh, eat your food. Why not? So. Um, and then you can catch the last half of the game if you want to, it works out perfect. So um, anyway, we hope you come down today, 12 to 1.30, that'd be awesome, uh, as we can just celebrate, celebrate what God has done over the last uh, five years. So let's go and pray right now, and then uh, I'm going to get right underway with what we have for today. Jesus, I thank you so much for five years, I thank you so much how you have guided and you have developed us over the course of time, and, and, and man, we still know that there is a long way to go, right? I mean, five years is amazing, and five years is also a short duration in comparison to the way you unfold things. You are a God of patience. Matter of fact, it says you are long-suffering in your patience, and so we know that sometimes the way you transform an area, or you transform people, or you change a culture, or you touch a city is over the long game, and I pray that we will have a heart of the long game, that we will be set in such a way that we are available to your purposes by seeking to uh, seek you, by seeking to uh, be bound with one another, by seeking to honor your word, by sharing your good news, by caring about your kingdom. Just these things that are the values that you have set in our heart, that we would be missional theologians, all of that. Uh, Again, I just pray that you would reinforce those things so that we might be uh, everything you want us to be in this little place of the world that you've planted us. And so, again, I, I pray for only continued growth, continued passion, continued longing for you and love toward you and so i pray this morning as we go through a relatively simple easy uh, simple and and easy concept as far as community uh, i I pray that all the more you will draw us into what that means and from that we will enter into community in in ways that uh, are a blessing and a benefit and are glorifying to you and so we love you and we praise you this morning in your good name amen so um Two weeks ago, again, we started the series, and we said what was most important is that the church is all about Jesus. He's our senior pastor. He is our chief leader. He is the one we emulate. He's the one we model after. He's the one we worship. It's Jesus. He's the big idea in in what we do as a church. From that, we said it's important that we care about his book, right? And his book is going to be mission critical because his book informs us on what we do, how we do it, why we do what we do, the motivations that are embedded in that. That's why the Bible is important to us. But this morning, we want to note how the church is wired for connectivity we are wired to be interconnected to one another now when you look at the earthly ministry of jesus you you see that this is the agenda in sort of a cryptic fashion Right? He's hanging out with Peter and the fellas, and he says, listen, here's my plan. Uh, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he's talking to Peter, but really, he's talking broader than that. And he says, uh, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be mine. And that idea of church, that word church, in their culture meant an assembly of people. So I'm not just going to build an institution. I'm not going to just build a physical structure. I'm going to build this thing, this gathering, this interconnected relationship of people that makes much of me. I will do it. I will build it. So passionate was Jesus that he gave himself for those people to purify them and prepare them and empower them so they could be gathered in his name as his church. And so the church was important to Jesus. That was his goal. Not only that, he says, it's also going to be his flock. He is the shepherd of the flock, the chief shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. In Luke, he says that we are his little flock. And you go, great, we're a little flock. He says, yet it is my father's joy and delight to give my little flock all the benefits of his kingdom. And so the church, the flock, the assembly, the gathering, the community of Christ, whatever nomenclature we want to use, this was always the agenda of Jesus. And so everything pressed in that direction. Everything pressed in the direction of preparing the apostles to do that, preparing them to go, preparing them to share, preparing them to teach, so that then the church would be the church. And I love the way he did it, too, because as he modeled even what the church was to become, you, you saw there was this uh, kind of this community that had a great deal of diversity within it, right? So Jesus, even amongst his apostles, he, he had a, a tax collector who would have been just despised by Jesus' Jewish culture. That guy was ripping people off and taking their money in the name of a pagan empire, right? So to say, I want a tax collector as one of my dudes. Man, that's, that's pretty, that's out of the box for his day. That was very progressive, right? But he loved the diversity of it. And not only did he have a tax collector that was figuring out a way to finance the tyranny of Rome, but then he also had basically a terrorist who was fighting Rome, and he added them as well into his apostle band. That was Simon the Zealot. Right. And zealots were known to want to fight the Romans. So He's like, OK, let me get this right. Uh, a, a guy that finances the Romans and a guy that fights the Romans. Yeah, why not make them my, my apostles? Right. But then there was all kinds of other guys, man. There was fishermen and there was scholars. I mean, you know, just he had this interesting band of, of people. And then you think about the people that surrounded him. He had Roman soldiers, and he had uh, women who were supporting his ministry. He had former prostitutes and people that were demon-possessed. And I mean, there, there's a laundry list that showed that Jesus was going to bring together in his church a wide variety of people from different backgrounds and challenges and circumstances and problems, and, 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 and he was going to bring them in. And then what was he going to do? It was going to be a community of healing A community of diversity that would then also be a community of healing. And all those people would come together and God would use them in Christ through the Spirit so that they might invest into one another in such a way that they grow and develop. And again, they would would heal in the way that God originally intended for them to be as far as his purposes, right? So this is all the essence of the church, a place of diversity and a place of healing. And so he gathers them all in himself for restoration and for righteousness and for relationship. And together they display the transforming power of God's grace through God's gospel. Right? That's what community, that's what church is all about. And we see a portrait then of how the church sort of comes together in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and punch it in right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 27 and work our way up, right? So I'm going to work as backwards, um, but there's a reason that I want to do that. I want us to just sort of see how this comes together. I want us to see the portrait um, of the church. So again, it starts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 27, where Paul reminds the Corinthians, who, by the way, were struggling. Right When we get to chapter 12, we, we, if, if you would have read the letter up to this point, you would find that they were struggling. They were supposed to be a diverse entity of healing, um, but they had become uh, a divided entity, and there wasn't a lot of healing going on. The rich were biased against the poor, and then different people were making different moral decisions, and some people were making decisions that was their Christian liberty, but they weren't doing it in love. And so, man, it's a very divided church, and Paul has to roll in and say, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, that's not what the church is meant to be. And so his argument in chapter 12 is to fix a problem, that they are not a unified diversity. They are a diversified diversity right now and yet he reminds them of what Christ has made them to be. In verse 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually, you're members of it. Right. So when he says, you are the body of Christ, he doesn't mean you, the individual, are the body of Christ. He's saying a plural you. In Greek, it's a plural you. All of you together are the body, but yes, as individuals, you are a part of that collective whole. He says this because when you really try to grill it down he's he's trying to get ahead of a problem that he already senses and sees in their midst And, and what he's saying here is that he's reminding them that christianity is not a solo enterprise right it's not a solo enterprise yes you're individual you are a singular person but you're a person in a bigger collection of people that make you plural the church so if there's a person that says, you know what, man, I got Jesus. I don't need the church. Paul would say, whoa, wait, if, if you have Jesus, but you don't have the church, um, you don't have Jesus as fully as you could. You have Jesus, true enough, but you have an anemic form of having Jesus. Because Jesus has put things together in such a way that, again, there is both an individual component to our spiritual growth and a corporate component to our spiritual growth. And this is really Paul's emphasis right here. You have them, but you don't have them as fully as you could in the way of how you grow, how you develop, how you mature, how you become encouraged and inspired and filled up, all those kinds of things. Um, you, you have to go deeper. If you want to have a robust relationship to Christ, it cannot be divorced from the community of christ right this is an individual enterprise and it's a communal enterprise this is reality because individuals cannot be the body all by themselves they just can't do it in their own strength and so paul is saying hey man first of all it's not a solo enterprise the second thing though in his statement here what he's saying is that each person matters Right, So every individual, because it would be really easy for some individuals to say, man, I don't have the right gifts, I don't have the right talents, I don't have the right techniques, uh, how do I fit in this overall picture? I'm, I'm more of an introvert, I don't see my place. And, and, and what Paul is really going to be saying in this is, no, 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 every person matters. Every person has contribution. Everybody has an investment that they can make. And, and sometimes the investments that people think are the lesser, smaller ones can be the most profound of investments. You know, my investment to stand up here on a Sunday morning has its purpose and value and glory to God. But I'll I'll tell you what, people who do like our setup and our teardown, people who watch our children at our our regroups or different things. These people are giving tremendous glory to God, even though it may not be the most recognized things always, right? Those are the little things that are the big things in the kingdom. Jesus looks at the little things and says, that stuff's huge. That stuff's huge. The stuff that receives no open praise and glory all the time is the stuff that he says, I reward profoundly. And so every individual matters, right? Everybody plays a part. Everybody is to have a voice. Everybody is significant to the whole. If you go a little deeper, we go up to verse 18. Paul says then this, that God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If it were all a single member, where would the body be? As there are many parts, yet there is still fundamentally one body. He's just reinforcing what we saw in verse 27. And think about that. Think about the fact that um, you're not here by mistake. Uh, you, just, what does it say again there? God arranged. Look at that. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. This is so particular. As he chose. I mean, that's proactive right there, right? Jesus built you. Ready? I want you to own this. Jesus built you for us. And Jesus built us for you right i mean this is how fundamental paul is trying to say this therefore there's not there's not anyone that says i'm not essential no every single person is essential there are no non essential people there are however non engaged people but there are no non essential people in fact you're so essential that this verse is saying that god took the time to not just make you but he made you The best you, for the sake of a bunch of other yous, to come together, right? And to be this interconnected, wired for connectivity thing called the church. This is why so often, if you've been in church for a while, you'll hear the pressure at times even to say, what's your gifting? What's your calling? What's your purpose? How are you built? How are you serving? How are you contributing? How are you giving? How are you investing? Uh, Because again, everybody's made for that, that purpose, right? We're made in such a way that others are depending on us. And we're made in such a way that we depend on others. Right? And I know some of us are very independent and and struggle with that. Like, no, 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 I don't want to be that. Let me help you. You're just that. Whether we want to be it or don't want to be it doesn't matter. It's what we are. Every one of us is just like that. In fact, if you go up even a little further to verse 12... It says, for just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, and so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. All were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not, does not consist of one member, but of many. Therefore, he says, that the foot should say, uh, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would make, really, no sense at all, right? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye... I do not belong to the body, that would not make any sense either, right? It's no less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, well, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I mean, you see this illustration that Paul uses that we're all interdependent on one another. What this means is that no one is just a a monistic sphere of independence. No one's a circle. None of us are that. Right? Because sometimes we want to think, I oh, know I'm, I'm independent. I'm an American. I don't rely on, depend on, need it. I got me. I got Jesus. That's it. I'm a sphere. No, you're not a sphere. If you think you're a circle, I think we actually have a picture of this. If you think you're this, in the context of the Christian life, uh, let me tell you, you're really just like a big Death Star. That's what you are. You're a big Death Star. <laughs> right? Thank you, nerd humor. Um, You're just a death star. And and the death star, the problem with the death star is it's like, we are this power in the universe and no one can stop us. And we are impenetrable unless a crazy farm boy finds your exhaust port and destroys you. In other words, if you think you're a sphere, you've got a weakness. And it may not be obvious to you, but, but there's something lacking in your makeup that means you are not complete in and of yourself. That's a dangerous place to be. That is not a helpful place to be. The reality about the church is that every single one of us, and I've used the illustration before, are like puzzle pieces, right? We're just like that. Every single one of us has real profound strengths, protrusions. But then we have other things that God has sovereignly wired into us. I don't want to call them weaknesses. That's not the idea. We have sovereignly designed differences in which, because of that, there are just things that I am not strong in. There are things that I'm not well built for. There are things that I don't think about. There are sometimes things that emotionally just don't register with me or practically or functionally or or even the way I will read the Bible through my little lens. There's things that I will miss. And so then I have indentations. I have protrusions of certain abilities and gifts and talents and strengths and makeup. And then I have indentations of things where I'm not good and yet somebody else or maybe a variety of people can then add into my life, and and, and help strengthen those things that I'm just not built well for. And, And that's every single one of us. Every one of us has these protrusions. Every single one of us has these indentations. And so, in essence, the church is formed to be fitted. The church is formed to be fitted. And so we can't grow apart from one another, and we really shouldn't want to grow apart from one another right we should want that sense of interconnectedness and reliance not only because it's healthy for us because also it's the way that jesus put it together real quick ephesians chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 he tells the church there to speak the truth in love this is after he said don't be tossed by every wind of doctrine and everything else he's to speak the truth in love as we do so we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head unto Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working uh, properly, makes its body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I mean, you see there again this fact that there is not only an interconnectedness that we're wired for, but it's a requirement. And what I mean by requirement isn't so much like, you better do it now or you're in trouble, right? It's, It's saying, hey, if you want to grow, then you have to be in community. If you want to help others grow, you have to be in community. If the community is to grow, the church, it has to be then together. I mean, that's the essence of this particular passage, right? We're not gonna grow closer to Christ unless we're growing closer in community. And so what's that mean then for us as individuals? All right, I'm talking about this collective whole, but as Paul said, we are the body made up of individuals, which means the way the body acts In its healthiest mode is that every individual says, I'm going to take upon myself uh, what is called of me, what is encouraged of me, what is required of me to be then a helpful, holy, wholesome, heartfelt member of the community of the church. What, What do I need to do as just a singular person, right? So the rest of this is about what the individual does, what I do, what every single one of us is called to do in the context of the church. And I'm going to talk about just four core uh, areas of emphasis, right? It's going to be relatively simple. This is, in some ways, almost like Christianity 101 even. But I think it's so important because for some, community is easy. For others, community is hard. And so what are the four core areas of emphasis that we are to make an investment into as individuals to see a healthy and growing community? The first place I want you to go for this is the book of Philippians chapter. 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Paul says this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any affection and sympathy in one's life, it says, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. The very first point, as far as what it means to be in community and what we do as individuals to serve in community, is community means we serve one another right community means we serve and, and i want to be clear about something we, we struggle with this sometimes uh, in staff meetings when we're talking about the church and we'll use the term volunteer and then we correct ourselves almost all the time because the church is not made up of volunteers and it's kind of the thing we say like oh who's volunteering in children's or who's volunteering in youth it's the wrong word because oftentimes what volunteer is communicating is i'm giving you my time i'm doing you a favor now, that's not necessarily a bad thing to give people your time and do people a favor, but it's a little bit more like, this is on my terms. Yet, as Christians, the Bible says, no, 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 no. this isn't now on our terms, it is on Christ's terms. Therefore, we're not volunteers, we're servants. We're servants. We're not giving our time, we're rather showing our love for Christ through our obedience, and, and, and what he has in that is not only our lives, but our time, and therefore, we serve in the way that he wants us to serve, and he wants us to serve one another. And the way we serve here is that I count people as more significant than myself. Imagine if that was true for all of us. Like we said, this is this is going to be my life verse for the next year. I'm just going to labor to to really fight for others to be treated as more significant than myself. I'm going to handle them with my dispositions and with my decisions in a way where they're more significant than me. So when I feel frustration, when I feel fatigue, when I feel uh, inconvenienced, when I feel used, I'm still going to stop and say, wait, but I'm here to serve them. They're more significant than myself. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they're more significant than myself. I'm going to seek to inspire more than I seek to scold because they're more significant than myself. I want to lead by example more than express my opinions because they're more significant than myself. I'm sitting there going through this list this week, looking at that, and going, man, am I really prepared to serve everybody as more significant than myself? Right? I mean, it was kind of confronting. I'm like, well, I will serve the people that are easy to get along with more, you know, and— and 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 the people that I find serving me, I'll serve them because you know it's like you scratch my back, I scratch yours. This is really great. But am I prepared to serve the people that are just mooches? Am I pre- prepared to serve the people that are just my critic? And I'm like, oh well, gosh, what's it saying there again? Uh, count others. All the others? I guess it's all the others more significant. What a bummer, right? I Means serving even when you're treated like a servant, you know. And I'll tell you where this is hard. And and uh, and this I, this is not pandering. Honestly, I, I'm just telling you there are people here at Redemption Church that are much more servant oriented than I am, and they serve. I would even guess much more than I do. So I, I you know, I, I serve. There's others that serve more. But can I can I tell you the plight of the really hardcore servants? This is even kind of a confrontation to the serving people, uh, the serving class. Um, The serving class, they are built to serve, but they get frustrated when they don't see other people serve. Right? They get really frustrated by that. Can I tell you, that's ruining our service right there. We should love serving for the sake of serving whether others serve or not. Now I'm going to say, if you're not serving, man, you should be serving because you're missing out. You're missing out. All kinds of blessing comes with serving. But for the servant, we shouldn't be frustrated by the absence of other people serving. We should be inspired to show them why serving is a blessing and bring them along with us, recruits people to serve. And when I say serve, I mean this in all sorts of ways, not just in the organized ministries of the church. I mean, when you see somebody's hurting, you, you, you serve them in that way. I mean, there's any number of ways in which we can serve one another, but we want to do it selflessly and we want to do it sacrificially because what Paul's example in Philippians 2 is, as he goes into verse 5, is Christ. Christ served you by sacrificing himself for you. And when you serve others sacrificially, it is in tribute to what Jesus has done for you. And so the first thing about tethering off, being a roped church, is we say, all right, it's a core essential that we serve one another. We treat others as more significant than ourselves. That's the first core emphasis. The second, though, is differently important. The purpose of community is not just to serve but the purpose of community is also, number two, to sanctify, big fancy word, sanctify one another. The first one is we serve one another, the second one is we sanctify one another. Uh, the word sanctify just means to, to grow more holy, to be, become more set apart for Christ. That's sanctify. And some people will say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. only God sanctifies people. And I say, no, 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 people also are used by God in the sanctification process. First Corinthians 7 says, Spouses will sanctify one another, right? Your investment into your spouse is a sanctifying element that God uses through you in their life to sanctify. Uh, in the same way, I would say being in a church with a diverse group of people in the process of healing, there's a lot of room for us to sanctify one another. Colossians chapter 3. We go into this particular section, and, and it's a two-edged sword when it comes to how the church, how the community of Christ sanctifies one another, right? And the first way is probably one that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate based on what we've just talked about when it comes to serving. But it starts in verse 12. And Paul says to that particular church there, put on then, as God's chosen ones, as those holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Now, what's interesting when I look at that is that um, my walk away is being in a church or in community or in a regroup or whatever thing you might be in, being in community confronts our own sin. Part of how God uses the church to sanctify, how God uses people to sanctify one another, is he puts us in a context where he basically says, all right, now that you're in me and you're hanging out with my people, get over yourself. Right? This is how I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to put you in a group of people. Not only are you going to serve them, but you're going to sanctify them. And the way you're going to sanctify them is you're going to be sanctified by them, first of all. And so I want you to do the opposite of what you're intended to do. See, the, the church is a family. Right? It's a family. But here's what's true about families. They're dysfunctional. Right? I mean, families at some level are going to be dysfunctional or they're going to have dysfunction at times. That's going to be true to the church. There's going to be times where there's dysfunction in the church and there's going to be people who are mean or who are odd or who are short or who are frustrating or frustrated or they're sappy or they're demanding or they're demeaning or they're lukewarm or they're freeloading or they're judgmental or whatever their thing Right? All of those are going to be true. And you're like, man, I don't want to be in Matt's regroup if that's. Because um, everybody would be like, Matt's all those things. He's demanding and sappy and judgmental. Um, but it's in the context of that. Then I must be compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And man, I must forgive then people who let me down. People often leave churches because somebody's hurt them. And I go, man, it's such, such a derailing of Colossians 3. You know, we don't solve by departure, we solve by pressing in, resolving our conflict, going to one another, and forgiving one another. Oftentimes what we need to de- do even before that is to uh, exhibit a humility and a kindness and a meekness and a patience so that I don't become offended by the fact that there is a diversity within the church that is all in the process of healing. It's like, no, 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 I, I, I just realized, you know what, this is a part of me being grown, me being sanctified. I'm with a group of people that remind me that I still have a struggle with sin just by the mere fact that I have things that I've got to conquer in me about how I relate to others. That's a part of how we grow one another. But then Paul goes even deeper into verse 14. He says, above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's actually three commands here. Put on love. And as we've said here, love is ultimately, at the end of a process, it should be an emotion. That is true. But love doesn't start off that way. Love is a commitment. Love is an action. And so here there is this conscious decision. Paul says, here's what I want you to decide. You're going to put on love. You're going to put on love for the difficult person, the odd person, the lazy person, the lukewarm person, the sappy person, whatever your your own hang-up is, because it's really your hang-up. Whatever that is, you're going to put on love toward that person or persons or even bigger maybe there's some maybe even watching or maybe come this sunday who say just the church at large drives me crazy the concept of the church drives me crazy paul would say well then put on love make the conscious committed decision to love then he says let the peace of christ rule in your hearts right let it let it rule that's a pursuit that's, a, that's another one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm going to be a person who seeks then those things that help the peace of Christ rule in my life. Because, man, when the peace of Christ rules, then you want to be a peacemaker, not just hopefully a truce writer, but a peace creator. So let peace, the peace of Christ rule. And then he says, be thankful. Be thankful. Make the decision. This is what my wife tells me all the time. You know, Matt, you you just need to choose to be thankful. I'm like, no, no, thankful is a reaction. It's not a decision. No, it's a decision. It can be a reaction too. But oftentimes I find that only when I make the decision to be thankful do I experience the reaction of being thankful. And if I don't make the decision to be thankful, I'm always waiting around for an an event that causes me to then go, no, I'm thankful. Which it seems like that will be less and less to the degree that I don't make the decision more and more to just be thankful, to follow the actual command that says to do it, right? See, what I love about this whole concept is that the relentless love of others beats the sinful selfishness out of me. And and that's what I see there. That's how it sanctifies. The relentless love of others beats the sinful selfishness out of me. I don't want people to be something for me. I want to be something for people. And again, that makes me more and more like Christ and less and less like Matt. And that's a good thing because Matt is not terribly cool. Christ is. Right? But then there is the positive edge, right? The, the, this isn't a negative edge, but it's certainly been the confronting edge. I'm sanctified by being with people to learn to get over myself. That, that sanctifies on one side. But then the other side is found in verses 16 and 17. This is how we sanctify one another in the output. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With thankfulness, there's that word again in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, This is where we have a responsibility to one another, not just to, again, on the front end. Be compassionate and loving and kind and thoughtful and investing love and being thankful and seeking the peace of Christ and all those things so that we can be better toward one another. But then here's this other responsibility that says, and I need to have a walk, a personal walk that is useful to the people around me. That I need to be a conscientious student of the Word so that when there's opportunity, I share the Word with one another. That I have a a type of focus when it comes to my obedience toward Christ so that I have a delight in Christ so that I might then pour out my joy and delight and thankfulness into the lives of others when we're together in community. That I might be that example and model and inspiration and stimulation to a deeper life with Christ. I mean, this is what he's saying. We make an investment by Pouring into one another, and particularly here, pouring in truth, not just advice. And, and I think that is immensely critical, right? What we say is a part of the sanctifying agent. It's very easy to come together as friends and, and pump out advice to life's problems. But what, what the encouragement here is, is no, we need to be students of the word So that when we come together and we're discussing life's problems, we give counsel from the word more than counsel from the world. And and can I just say with that, that's important because it's very easy to give counsel from the word or from the world um, because it seems like conventional wisdom. just seems like conventional wisdom. Here's the trick about counsel from the Bible. Most of the time, it's opposite of the conventional wisdom of the world, right? So... Paul even gets into it in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. He's like, you know, the wisdom of God is the foolishness of the world. FYI. The greatest, Jesus says, they're the least. So automatically, oftentimes, the the advice we want to give because we heard it on the radio or Dr. Phil or whatever we caught, right? It's conventional wisdom, but it may not be God's wisdom. There's going to be things that God tells us to do, like uh, submit or love your enemies, or do good to those who hurt you or treat you poorly. And that's very different than the world says, oh, you just kick him to the curb, honey, right? Like, that's a different thing than love your enemy, right? So, again, when it comes to this and when it comes to what it means to really sanctify one another, it means we are to be students of the word so we can invest that into each other. Students of the tone of the word, of the temperament of the word, of the attitudes of the word, of the affections of the word, and of course, the actions and commands of the word as well. were to make all of that investment. From there, we go into the third reason for community. And you can go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Not only do we exist in community to serve one another and to sanctify one another, but right here we also exist to shoulder one another. Just to shoulder, right? Here's what we all know. Life is hard. Being a student or a teenager, it's hard. Being married, piece of cake. I don't have any problems with it. Maybe for you it's hard sometimes. Um, but I'm sensitive to some of you. Um, yeah. No, marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Finances can be hard. Being a Christian in the modern climate is increasingly becoming somewhat, at least awkward. It can be a little hard. And then we have days where we're just emotional and that's hard and days where we have disappointment and that's hard and days where we kind of do some introspection and we don't like what we see and that's hard and then there's days where people treat us poorly and that's hard and then there's the sins that we struggle with and that's hard and then there's the really habitual sins that we struggle with and that's really, really hard and we feel like we fail and we try to do well for a while and we do but then we fail again, everything else and that's hard. All of those are the burdens of life, right? And this is why we need one another to shoulder one another's burdens. There are times in my life, um, it's funny, I had somebody say this to me once, they said, you know, it's funny how you share the, the baggage of your life down the road, but at the time you're going through it, we, we didn't know it. Like, you know, they, there'll be times where I'm like, oh, there was a time on a Sunday morning where I was just laying down behind this curtain, and I was crying, I didn't want to get out, and then I came out, I'm like, hey everybody, what's up, redemption, you know, and and they're like, and then you tell us later, and it's like, you know, how, how do you cope with that? Are you schizophrenic, you know? And and that's not it. I, 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 I do think there's something supernatural that kind of kicks in when, when you're called to be a proclaimer of Christ's word. You know, there, there's, there's something in that that's unique. Um, but in all candor, it, the other thing that helps is there are people in my life that I do just come in, and I just dump the baggage. Right? So I, they bear my burdens. I mean, I think about how often I go into Scott's office, and it's always the same. I grab his little director's chair, set it down, sit in it, put my feet on his desk, and then bleh, I vomit all over his desk. Here's what's going on. Here's where I'm frustrated. Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm sad. Here's where I, I, I don't even know what to do. And, and there's times that Scott will give me wisdom, and there's times that Scott will just listen. And there's times that Scott will just say, dude, I am really sorry. I'm just sorry. Like, I wish I, I could change it. He doesn't even have to say a thing. I just know that he cares, and there's a solidarity there. right? These these are all the ways it can happen. It was cool. We had our first regroup for the season uh, this last week, and it was cool as everybody went around the group and, and how certain themes came up where nobody was trying to pretend that they were all that and a can of spam in the name of Jesus. They were just, you know, like, Man, here, here's here's where I'm still growing. Here's where I'm learning. Here has been my journey and what Christ did. And here were some mistakes. And here he's still developing me. And even that was sort of a, a, a time of general burden carrying. Just like, here's where I'm still trying to figure it out. That's why community is so valuable. We bear one another's burdens. And this was good for Jesus too. Did you know that? Did Jesus ever have burdens? Yeah. Remember that night just before he's actually uh, to go to the cross? He's so utterly burdened and overwhelmed, he goes off to pray. But what's he do? He grabs community. Peter, James, John, come with me. Pray with me for this just an hour. Just be there with me. Now, these wing nuts fell asleep, right? So um, my advice, don't fall asleep at your regroup, all right? Don't do that. If somebody's pouring out to you, I don't know what to do with my teenager. I'm so overwhelmed. Don't be like, <sighs> you know, it's not cool uh, at all. They're allowed to splash water all over you if you do that. All right. So, but Jesus needed community. So I go, okay, if the perfect son of God still needed community to bear his burdens, I think we needed to, right? I think we needed to. Now I get some of us are very private people or introverted or we're too busy or. Whatever it is, independent, tired, you name it, we can get into that. And we can come up with all sorts of excuses to not be in community. Uh, But the reality is those are just excuses that ultimately hurt us. Hurt us. I'll give you another confession. Why not? Because I'm I'm dumb enough to do it. Um, Didn't plan it. Um, You know, for for a while we we had regroups and I wasn't in one. I wasn't in one. And, and I had all sorts of reasons. Oh, I'm too busy. You know, as being the teaching pastor, i got to do this and this. And I'm going to be agile and go visit different people at different times and everything else. And I've got, I've got Scott. That's enough. Now, Scott's an awesome guy, but he's a puzzle piece too, right? Right? And so, but I'm like, I just need my puzzle piece and Scott's puzzle piece. Oh, and Ellen's puzzle piece. i got three puzzle pieces. It's an awesome puzzle, three pieces, right? So, um, of which I'm one of them, All right. So, um, and and it was just like this confronting thing of oh and i got the elder so that's a few more puzzle pieces you know? and and yet i'm like wait i can't i can't rightly tell people to be in community when i'm not choosing to be in community i can't say hey everybody should be in a regroup and then i'm not in a regroup now it's weird because our regroup discusses what the pastor's preaching that guy's an idiot i'm always telling him um like the pastor he's a wing nut don't listen to him um now it's weird to be in a group where they're talking about what you're talking about but but you know what i it's been interesting to see how even in kind of plugging in for myself into a regroup where it, it it's uncomfortable for me at times, it challenges um, my own um, comfort levels at times, and that's good. Like, like, maybe to say it differently, if you go, they just make me uncomfortable, that's why you should be in one. That's how simple. They make me uncomfortable. Perfect. It's just for you then right? Because we need to be roped off to others. We need to be a little uncomfortable. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll make it comfortable, right? It's like, no, it's not comfortable, but it is right, it is good, it is healthy. That means the fourth thing, right? If we're going to serve one another and sanctify one another and we're going to shoulder one another, that means, number four, we need to schedule one another. I know that sounds Real sexy, I'm going to schedule love and community. Um, But you know what, it's true, schedule's important. We need to schedule one another, right? Everything that's important in our lives, we schedule. We schedule work and school and dates and activities and, you know, practice times. And we make sure it happens. We put it on the calendar, we make sure important things happen. Well, community is super important. Hebrews chapter 10, says in verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, that is the final day, the big day, uh, drawing near. Now there's three things here that are pretty obvious. The first, for every pastor who ever preaches this and wants to make sure that everybody is there on Sunday morning, is don't neglect meeting together. Like, pastor's favorite verse, don't forget to come to church, right? That's pretty obvious, right? But it says we need to place it as a priority. We need to make time. We need to protect that window. Even for those of us raising kids, uh, the question as parents is always, um, how do I ensure that my kids will love Jesus when they're adults? And I go, good news, there's no way to ensure it. Um, But there are things that we can do that are wise and help facilitate better chances of it. Things like having our own personal walk in our own home every day of the week, not just on Sunday, and prioritizing the community of faith above all of the other events that we put in life. That we in, we show to our kids we value this. It's important to us. It's more important than exercise. It's more important than our, our work ethic. It's more important than all the things that we do. Christ and what Christ cares about is first to us. And the families that prioritize that, it's shown in the statistics that those kids have the highest likelihood of becoming adults that are also faithfully walking with the lord and the ones that it's just kind of like if it fits when it fits where it fits those ones have a harder chance or at least a lower likelihood of plugging in in the same way so just in of itself there's a value as far as prioritizing it so don't neglect but then notice it also says here we're meeting so we can encourage one another right to encourage And it's what I said earlier, it's a part of the shouldering process, right? The world around us is difficult, and life is difficult, and emotions are difficult, and just things are going to happen. And so we want to come together with the intention of encouraging one another. More than that, it says we want to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? Stir up one another to love and good works, which means we're thinking through, how can I come to the table with something valuable? How can I have a plan? How can I have a verse? How can I have whatever it is to come and to bring to bear In fact, when it says there, um, stir up, it's the Greek word for agitate. So if you're an agitator, church is for you. Um, But it means rouse, right? It it, it means like spur one another on. It's not like I'm just going to come and be difficult. I'm going to become the complainer, right? Not that kind of agitate. Because people going, man, I want to go where that person's going. I want the walk that that person has. I want to have the kind of wisdom they seem to share. I want to have that spirit of servanthood that I see in them all the time as they're just doing it, and they're smiling, and there's joy, and there's thankfulness. Like, I want to be that. So it's like, man, that's what we want to come and bring to the table. And so we come saying, all right, I'm going to come with some thought, some verse, some song, some point, some confession, some whatever we bring in our coming together. And we're doing that. Because we want to spur one another on to these love, this love and good deeds, and, and, and so these are just all the principles. It's why we gather, and as a church, it's why we gather in different ways. On Sunday mornings, we group, right? This is what uh, was shared earlier with Crystal, right? We group on Sunday mornings, but then throughout the week, we regroup. And regrouping does something different than grouping on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, it's collective, it's the whole, it's important. We all learn the word together. Our kids all learn the word back there together. That's an important facet. But then there's all this other stuff, right? How we grow more in our relational dynamics, how we serve one another in different ways, and that's why regroups. Are so important to us and if you're not in a regroup and you're like man, I know I should and i'll talk to some people say We've been wanting to we've been meaning to we know we need to we just got to put it on the calendar and make it happen And that goes back to our fourth point, right? It's just it's saying i'm i'm scheduling that this is important. I'm going to do it man If you're interested in that go on our app go on our website tells you what our regroups are when they meet what they do All of that uh, and get plugged in in that way That's why we group that's why we regroup the other thing that I would say is just figure out where you can serve That's another way that we rope off together in community. We figure out how we can serve one another with our gifting and with our skill set. Because all of it at the core is that we're wanting to, again, um, bind together as Jesus has placed us together. What's amazing about this is when we do it, uh, we're evidence to the world in a very unique way. If all these different people from different backgrounds, all healing together in Christ with different things, if we can truly be one, uh, the world looks and says, wow, there is real power behind the gospel. In fact, in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, this is in part why we want to be community, not just for our own spiritual edification or our own benefit, we want to be community because the world looks at that community and if it truly displays that kindness and generosity and love and forgiveness and thoughtfulness and investment um that that's again that's an evidence that god is among us and that god is doing something and so this is even the essence of communion right communion is where Jesus sits down that that final evening with his disciples and says, this is the new covenant in my blood that's going to be shed for you. You're going to do this in remembrance of me. And it's in remembrance, not just of the sacrifice of Christ, but what the sacrifice produces, which is community. We call it communion for that purpose. Co-union with Christ and with one another. That's why we do this every month. This is why uh, it was the very first kind of, thing that transpired, the thing that was so important to us at the starting of Redemption five years ago is we're taking communion together because God has made us community. And so today, man, just a sovereign aligning where we, again, we take communion five years later as a community, in community, because Christ has made us community. Jesus, we know that you have made us family. And I pray that we have an ownership of that, not just to honor it, but but to cherish it, to long to see what it can be, because you've given what is necessary for it to be everything that it's intended for. I also thank you for the fact that you were so committed, so passionate about your church and about it being wired in you that you gave yourself for it, you took your sin, or took the sins of it on yourself to then purify it and prepare it so that it could be what you've built it to be. And you gave it righteousness so it could live that out. You gave it grace so that it would be empowered. You deposited your Holy Spirit so that we might have strength and gifting and fortitude. And, And I pray that we would live in that which you've given. I thank you so much for redemption in my own life, not just your act of, but the church that is, how both are so profound for me, and are doing a work in me every day. I pray that is true for all of us. We thank you, and we need you.